your head out of the clouds Get your feet back on the ground Get stuck into pop culture We'd stick around Hello there and welcome to Stick Around The only podcast that hasn't been promoted above its ability Brought to you by the British Lard Marketing Board. Eat lard, get laid. <laughs> <laughs> um, that hasn't been my experience, Michael. No, all right, okay. <laughs> Must be eating the wrong lard. Um, Actually, I, I'm not sure if I've ever had any lard, ever. <laughs> unless it's been in some cooking that I'm not aware of. Do people still use it? I don't thing. know, I mean, it's disgusting, isn't it? Well, yeah, but you think but you think butter's disgusting, though. Yeah, I mean, obviously, my butter phobia. I don't know how much we've talked about this on here. We must have. Uh, and lard is definitely, you know, a cousin to butter. It's in it's in the same ballpark for me. Butter's obese cousin. <laughs> more obese cousin. Yeah. Is it? Is there more fat in lard than butter? Uh, probably not, but it feels like there must be. <laughs> it just sounds like there is. We best move on or I'm going to start having cold sweats. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome, welcome, welcome to uh, another episode of Stick Around. I'm hosting today. It's uh, everyone's favourite host, Alex Wayne. Um, we have wow. the everyone's favourite expert, Clive Fisher. You just about recovered yourself there, Al. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody's uh, equally favourite uh, expert, Michael Johnson. Don't know how that works, but thank you. Yeah, you're both number one and number two. Um, <laughs> well, these lardy lads, including myself, um, will be hosting a yet again a mixed grab bag, to use Michael's term, uh, podcast today. Um, have we all been getting invested in some pop culture? Yeah. But you said infested then. Like... Well, yeah, we could have been infested, yeah. As ever, yeah. Um. I believe, and let me know if you, I'm wrong, Michael, um, you've got a possibly a new top ten act that you've been getting invested in recently. Is that right? Oh, yeah. I'll be mentioning them. Okay. I, I, won't, I, won't, I won't step on your toes. Um, let's leave that for a second. Let's Ooh. go. Oh, can I, before we do that, can I just say there's a, there's a possibility that we may be interrupted on this podcast by a person turning up at my door wanting to borrow a copy of The Plague by Albert Camus. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true that story. Sounds... Right. Oh, I, I can't tell if I want context for that or not. <laughs> I think I do. I don't yeah, know, actually. Yeah, you're right. It sounds no, no, weird actually, that possibly without it. I mean, sometimes you don't want to see the strings, but other times you just need to see. <laughs> well, it's, it's very simple. Some, someone at work, um, Alex knows who it is, um, was, um, well, I have a calendar within, with uh, great quotes from great leaders on it. And uh, one day it was a quote from Camus. And I said he's one of my... Um, my favourite writers. Now, the main preoccupation of this, uh, the person in question is football. And uh, when no. I said when, when I said that, they said, uh, why would you want to be a philosopher, just be a footballer? Uh, but they became intrigued when I pointed out that Camus was a goalkeeper, of course, as well. <laughs> um, and then I was talking about how the plague sales have obviously increased hugely during the pandemic on Friday, and now they are intrigued and want to read the book. But this person is a person who... 
usually probably reads about a maximum of a quarter of a book and then decides to read a book about football tactics instead. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I we'll mean, see no, how it goes. I mean, no disrespect to the person in question, um, but I assume they only read football autobiographies and cereal packets. <laughs> I think they'd admit themselves that that is usually accurate. Yeah. <laughs> That was not the that was not the person I was expecting, but fair play to him. Um. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, at the at the root of it, he is only interested in reading this because Camus was a footballer. So, <laughs> can we give these people pseudonyms and just sort of start involving them in random podcast? Um, okay. Yeah, what have you got in mind? What have you got in mind? Jazzy just Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? I think that works. Okay. Um, Did you what see was it? Something Jeff. Jazzy Jeff. Oh, okay. Like from yeah, the Fresh Prince. Speaking, and we of can which, make up anecdotes. Some of which are true. Some of which aren't. Oh yeah, one a week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see that they're making a gritty Fresh Prince of Bella? Yeah, I, that's not a good idea. I mean, it <laughs> it's was a not, gr- is it? I hope they keep the same theme tune though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it was. Oh, you know what's going to happen? It's going to be the same. It's going to be the same theme tune, but with different beat and um, you know, wrapped with more intensity, and it's not going to work even slightly. <laughs> Boom, bap, beat behind, behind it. Yeah, uh, I want to know what this is like. I've, I mean, I'd love to. I'd love to see the pitch. Have you ever imagined the Fresh Prince of Bel Air meets The Wire? <laughs> um, have you no, heard how? Nobody has. Have, have you heard how it came about? No. Was it not like that? No, so um, a, some some guy on YouTube um, edited together a gritty, you know, Fresh Prince trailer, which is okay. you know an interesting idea for a trailer, a one-off, and a then joke, Will, yeah. Will Smith liked it, and now they're making this together. Well, so Will Smith's going to be in it? Um, no, I think he's just producing it, but um, going to say he's a bit old now to play that character. Unless I suppose it could be the gritty version. I, I'd love to see him wear a fat suit to play Uncle Phil. Now he's a bit old. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. Cracking out Lucille. So basically, Will Smith wants to make a gritty crime show, but unless someone proposes it as a parody of a show he was in, he can't think of that himself. Is that what you're saying? Um, that, that would reflect his choices in recent years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I could agree with that. Anyway, um, sorry, sorry about that. No, no, that no, was well, it... well worth the interruption. Um, I'm... <laughs> I'll let uh, I'll let you know if there's a, a plague borrower at my door. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, Ooh. from what from one fresh prince to another, <laughs> Clive Fisher, what have you got for us today? Uh, what have I got for us today? Well, seeing as we're talking about highbrow literature, I thought I'd. Um, Fill in, talk about a book about football tactics now. Um, I'm, I'm going to talk about Sylvia Plath's The Bell Jar. So, as I've waffled on for the um, last few episodes, I've been doing lots of reading, listening to lots of audiobooks. This is one of the audiobooks I've listened to. So, I'm going to, I think in the review, I refer to having read the book, but I think it's the same thing, isn't it? But so just, just bear it in mind, it was actually the audiobook. If you don't count that as reading, that's fine. Um, it's up to you, but. It's the same thing. So, Sylvia Plath's The Bell Jar. It was um, Sylvia Plath's only only novel and was originally published under the pseudonym Victoria Lucas. It's uh, semi-autobiographical, struggling to speak today, it seems, with the names and places changed. Um, 
tells of the main character, Esther Greenwood, based on her Sylvia Plath herself, uh, her move to New York on a sort of summer internship for a big magazine. I can't remember what the magazine's called. And basically it tells of her life there and then kind of beyond, and, and beyond, really, and her sort of gradual descent into depression in a story that kind of mirrors Plath's own to some extent. Um Plath herself, of course, struggled with depression throughout her life, was um, treated numerous times with electroconvulsive therapy, or ECT, which is um, alluded to in the book. Um, Esther Greenwood also goes through that kind of um, that procedure. Um, and, of course, famously, um, Sylvia Plath killed herself a month after this book was released in 1963. It wasn't actually published with her proper name rather than the pseudonym Victoria Lucas until 1967, I think. Um so, I think Sylvia Plath described it herself too. I think it's in a, in a letter to her mum, which I think describes the book kind of as good as <laughs> as good as anyone else can. So I'll read that out. Um, which is, she said, "What I've done is to throw together events from my own life, fictionalizing to add colour. It's a pot boiler, really, but I think it will show how isolated a person feels when he is suffering from a breakdown. When he is suffering a breakdown. Interesting, she uses the word he there, not she." Um, I've tried to picture my world and the people in it as seen through the distorting lens of a bell jar. End quote. Hence its name. Um, I don't think I'm exaggerating. So, to put things a little bit... I listened to the audiobook, and the audiobook was re- read by Maggie Gyllenhaal, uh, and she was absolutely fabulous. It may well up there with my favourite um, of the audiobook performances I've um, had in the sort of five or six I've read now, maybe. Um, I've certainly competing with uh, Stephen Fry's excellent reading of uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the first book, which I've just finished, uh, which was brilliant. Um, But a whole different kettle of fish. So, yeah, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say um, uh, this is, I reckon, probably the most beautifully written book I've ever read. Um, You can tell that Plath is a poet. Um, The other, I don't know how many other books she published, but they were poetry books, I think a couple. And then there's obviously a collection and stuff. I don't know how much of it was published during her life and stuff. I know um, she's got a famous work called, I think it's Ariel, which is a, a sort of collection of poems, which I've not got to yet, but certainly will. Um, but like I say, in her writing of this novel, you can tell that she's a poet in her kind of creative, gorgeous descriptions of things. Um, she phrases things in a way where you know exactly what she means. It's really incredibly relatable. Um, I found it so anyway, and I think it's she's got this sort of uncanny ability to just describe things in a way we, that you probably wouldn't have thought about it, but then as soon as you, you read it, you're like, you just completely get what she means, um, which is I thought was really, really good. Um, there's occasional kind of bursts of light in the melancholy, um, and they're particularly arriving when they do arrive, uh, but it's the kind of melancholy, sadly beautiful descriptions of life, other people, her surroundings that make the bell jar what it is, really. Um, it's also kind of a... a <laughs> A study of how mental health was treated in the 1950s, uh, but also uh, much on you know the expectations on women, which um, Esther rebels towards and doesn't really understand. Um, so it's quite a feminist book as well, for definite. And yeah, I don't, it's a difficult one to talk about because it's not. Yeah, I don't, don't want to. It's not like I don't want to spoil it or anything. It's not that kind of book that you can spoil. But I don't. There's not that much to say about it other than I just think it's superbly written it's just really really beautiful um like i say descriptions of things the images it brought up i thought were fantastic there was certain passages that i got like i wasn't reading it so i didn't read them again i pressed back on the old 
um, audiobook and listen to them again because they were just absolutely beautiful. Um, and they, they weren't necessarily the more obvious stuff. It could have just be her like describing walking around the street or something. And I wish I'd uh, written some examples down and I've been trying to find some <laughs> some of them, but um, f- found it difficult because it's more the sort of um, quotes about life that are uh, famous from the book and not so much the descriptions. But yeah, it's just a fabulous, fabulous book. It's immediately one of my favourites for definite. It's um, not massively long, 244 pages, so quite easy to digest. And not written in a, like I say, the descriptions and stuff are really, it, it's definitely flowery, la- fla- flowery language, but doesn't feel unnecessarily so. And it's definitely not a book that's difficult to follow. I found it really easy to follow throughout. It's not one where you have to, where you end up rereading lots of pages because you're confused about what's going on, um, which I enjoyed. Um, and yeah, I think I thought I'd just finish with possibly my favourite passage from the book not really for its descriptiveness but for the way i think it describes something that uh, i think a lot of people probably can relate to um and it's quite long so i apologize up front but i shall read it out now um so this is i can't remember from where in the book this is but anyway um i saw my life branching out before me like a green fig tree in the story from the tip of every branch like a fat purple fig a wonderful future beckoned and winked One fig was a husband and a happy home and children, and another fig was a famous poet, and another fig was a brilliant professor, and another fig was E.G., the amazing editor, and another fig was Europe and Africa and South America, and another fig was Constantine and Socrates and Attila and a pack of other lovers with queer names and offbeat professions, and another fig was an Olympic lady crew champion and beyond, and above these figs were many more figs I couldn't quite make out. I saw myself sitting in the crotch of of this fig tree, starving to death just because I couldn't make up my mind which of the figs I would choose. I wanted each and every one of them, but choosing one meant losing all the rest. And as I sat there, unable to decide, the figs began to wrinkle and go black, and one by one, they plopped to the ground at my feet. And that's the end of my review. Wow. Uh, Has anyone else read The Bell Jar? <laughs> I haven't, no. Um, it's The Bell Jar's um, a victim of my... Well, I wouldn't call it a prejudice, but I tend to be um, more inspired to read uh, modern books than I do classics. I think I think it's to do with some association with education. Um, but you know, I've, I've long heard about how how great it is, and that passage was beautiful. And um, certainly, you know, I think you'll struggle to find a person who can't relate to that. Uh, sometimes the the vast possibilities of what to do and when to do it uh, leaves you paralysed, and none of them become possible anymore. Um, but yeah, I, I can't add anything, but sounds sounds brilliant. I think um, I think I studied it a little bit at college. Um, can't remember much about it now, to be honest. <clears throat> but I've never I've never read it in full for sure. Cool, I definitely recommend. And I see um, your point out about the, the classics, and it's definitely someone that I sometimes I've often read classics and been a bit disappointed because I feel like um, quite often I think it was Treasure Island where I felt this particularly. Um, the language to me didn't aid the book at all. Mm-hmm. Like it, um, if anything, it impeded it. Like the fact it was quite difficultly written was actually quite a simple story, and I, I really like the story of Treasure Island. But I just thought the way it was written was overly difficult to get through. And obviously, that's a kind of a testament to when it was written, rather than necessarily being a bad book as such. But that's definitely something I felt with other classics as well. And sometimes I feel like it actually helps the book like and i'd put um alice in wonderland one of my favorite books in that category where i think the way it's written is a little bit antiquated but it absolutely helps the madness of the book um and 
is, I think, a big reason for the way it still holds up today. Um, and this is definitely not, because I guess it's quite modern, really, is, um, yeah, it's not written in an antiquated way at all. You could absolutely imagine this coming out today. Um, so that's definitely not something that holds back. But, yeah, I totally see what you mean in terms of well, just reading modern stuff as classics, because I think there is, probably similar to music, there is so much stuff coming out that probably is... Um, great and uh, just as good as some of the classics that doesn't get as much uh, press purely because we're in a time where there's just so much stuff coming out um, and I guess I imagine it was similar in terms of there wouldn't have been as many books being published as there are now um, and similar to music there's so much music being recorded and released I imagine more than there ever has been in history because I guess you can for example you can publish your book a lot of people just publish it online and then make a physical copy or whatever um, and you can do the same with music. It's just a lot easier for people think, to do. I think there's a little bit of FOMO in there as well. Um, you know, if, if a new book's come out and it's, you know, incredibly well-reviewed and it's a product of its time, you feel like you have to read it then and there or, or you know, at least fairly shortly afterwards. And there's you think with the classics, they'll always mm. be there. I can always go back to them. And you don't necessarily. Um, I mean, I think I only read The Handmaid's Tale very recently off the back of the TV show and having known about it for years and, you know, understood it was a classic and understood that it was a book I would almost definitely enjoy. But, yeah, maybe I should... I feel like maybe I should go one-on-one, maybe read a classic, then read a more modern one, etc. See, I, um, I'm a bit different. I didn't know anything about The Handmaid's Tale until the TV show. Um, and I think it's it's always interesting to think what are the what are the materials lurking out there that's going to be a future hit TV show. You know, mm. it's the same with Game of Thrones, yeah. really. Um, I mean, I'm surprised it took that long to adapt because it seemed so adaptable. But obviously, I'd never heard of it because I'm not quite as steeped in literature as some people are. Well, I, I hadn't heard of Game of Thrones before at the TV show. Yeah. But yeah, uh, that that sounds sounds brilliant, uh, Clive. Um, it's going to have to go on my list. I mean, it, it will. It's a very long list, I'll have to admit. But um, like the other day, I just thought to myself, I haven't really read any of the great Russian literature, um, and I thought maybe I should be reading, um, you know, Crime and Punishment, War and Peace. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I just haven't got around to anything like that. You almost need, yeah, you kind of need. Well, I do need something to trim down your choices a bit. Uh, so for me, it's usually stuff like. The <laughs> audible two for one sale or whatever, it'll be like, okay, well, I'm gonna have to pick my next book, two books from this sale, um, and stuff like that. I, I find helps me actually pick because there's just so much bloody choice, like you say, it's very difficult to decide which one to read next. And in a much less dramatic uh, version of Sylvia Plath's uh, beautiful passage, you're a little bit paralyzed by choice sometimes, <laughs> absolutely, like, because of it, you end up picking nothing. It's <laughs> just like, oh, definitely, you happens. just end up watching repeats of Peep Show or, um, you know, pl- playing a computer <laughs> yeah. game that you've already played a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Well, anyway, um, wouldn't want to be the guy who has to uh, follow that, so I won't be. Uh, Michael, you're up next. <laughs> <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> yep, well, I'm going to talk about music, shock horror. Um, it's just a week since the, uh, the annual birthday bonanza of CDs, so um, plenty of things to talk about. But also... Um, a friend lent me uh, Perfect Sound Whatever, the book by James A. Castor, which I've just finished reading. Um, 
and it's um, well, it's an, it's a, it's an interesting book. It's very readable, uh, very entertaining, as I think you'd expect from Acaster. But it's basically about how in 2017 he had a terrible year. It talks candidly about some of his struggles with depression and the like, and uh, intertwines that with how he coped with that uh, to some extent by setting off on a project to listen to as many albums from 2016 as he could. Um, which ended up numbering in the hundreds. And the central thesis of the book is that 2016 is the best uh, year in music history. And uh, he means it from a very heartfelt perspective as well. Um, so m m many of the, the CDs that, um, or the albums, sorry, that make up the, um, the idea, the central um, thesis, are... Some of the biggest releases of the year, most prominently uh, Black Star by Bowie, Lemonade by Beyonce, Blonde by Frank Ocean. But uh, strangely enough, the um, the uh, the al well, there's two albums that um, that he counts as the very best of the year. That he always he says he he says are the best albums of 2016 when people ask. One is Telephone by the Chicago rapper No Name, which I haven't heard. Um, but the other is Worry by Jeff Rosenstock. Now something very strange ah, happened. Yeah. Something very strange happened. I got I was given this book a couple of months ago. I've just read it, um, and I'd heard of Jeff Rosenstock. Um, his name had been doing the rounds a lot on Twitter, mostly because he just released um, a new album, which I haven't heard yet. But um, I didn't know that this book was named after the closing track, Perfect Sound Whatever, on his, uh, his 2016 album, Worry, uh, which is the other album that, um, that, he, that Acaster says is the best of 2016. Um, and I think, really, he thinks it's the best, given that it lend, the, the track lends its name to the title of the book. Um, and I just got Worry last week, uh, and I'd listened to it a few times before I sat down to read this book over a couple of days. And it's got me thinking a lot about uh, the way fate works because I thought that was a very strange thing to happen. Um, and it was only when I went to pick up the book again that I realised it was named after that last track. And uh, that's kind of spooked me a little bit. Hmm. So that was a pretty cool thing to happen. Um, and that album, I feel like I'm only scratching the surface with it because its lyrics are, they're, they're, well, they're quite political, certainly sociopolitical. Um, they're written about a lot of interesting issues uh, and while they were written from quite a personal perspective by Rosenstock, they're, um, they clearly resonated with a lot of people and built up an audience for him. And yeah, it's it's a very well, it's a very listenable album for sure. It's not not that long. It's full of um, you know punk rock riffs, big dumb vocals. Um, it's a lot of fun, but also very serious topics covered. So it's an album I'm going to have to explore more, but. Uh, it's certainly worth mentioning in conjunction with the book which I just uh, just read at the same time so both come fully recommended uh, I've been listening to a bunch of other stuff so um, I listened to uh, Ark, the second album by Everything Everything um, which I had heard most of but I'd never listened to it as an album before um, they're a band I'm due to go and see next year who um, anyone who'd read my um, my power rankings of the top 50 acts in music last month would know that I, I rank very highly. Um, this clearly contains a lot of the um, the style of material that they've come to be known for. The, um, the frantic vocals, 
um, the lyrics that pack in uh, a serious punch never a wasted line that goes with those uh, and musically the, it's quite technical, a bit mathy even though it's indie based uh, alternative rock essentially uh, but albeit with a lot of influence from electronic and R&B production uh, which which is why the, you know, the, the band have become so heavily associated with uh, the general pop optimism movement but the um, what surprised me about the album is it sound it was quite subdued I thought in sound compared to uh, the, the subsequent albums Get to Heaven and um, A Fever Dream which I think I mean if they're they're a mixture but um, I think they're a lot more frantic in places than this album is um, so that's an interesting way that the band have developed and um, their upcoming album Reanimator comes out next month it was delayed a couple of times. Uh, every track I've heard from that has been excellent so far, so I'm looking forward to hearing that, for sure. Uh, last night I listened to London Calling by The Clash, which I haven't listened to for years, uh, but was already an album I pretty much knew inside out. Uh, it's, well, it's considered one of the best albums of all time, obviously. It's an album of tremendous quality across 19 tracks, highly consistent, um, very high repeat value, and obviously a band which came from initial punk roots and by this point was incorporating a lot of different styles into their sound uh, rockabilly, reggae, dub um, fairly diverse and clearly a, a band evolving at the time that they released this album which is certainly their their most treasured record and uh, just it reminds me of how I think these sort of uh, high profile acts releasing high concept sort of mega albums Nowadays it happens more so in hip-hop, really, because it's the predominant genre of mainstream music. But I think you can tie that back to... You know, you can tie that back to this sort of album. This this was that era's sort of equivalent of those sort of major releases today, I think. And uh, I'm sure it's going to make an appearance at the tail end of Clive's 1970s uh, project, of course. So no doubt we'll be hearing about it again. But it's an outstanding album, crammed with uh, with excellent songs. And one other thing I should talk about, as Alex already referred to earlier, is um, an act that I, I talked about on the, a few podcasts ago uh, about their new album. But now, certainly when I update those power rankings, they'll be um, well. They weren't even on the list because I hadn't listened to them much. But they'll be rocketing right cl- near the top, I would estimate, and that's uh, Heim. Uh, had the pleasure of listening to their, their first album um, about a week ago and I've listened to very little else since because it is um, a completely amplified pop album um, I mean, inc- incredib- incredibly intricate sort of song compositions in terms of harmonies, melodies uh, musically and vocally uh, ev- everything on there is a smash basically um, the quality is extremely high and for a debut album, that's uh, that's quite amazing, I think. So, I mean, the newest album which I talked about was, I think, it's probably a lot more. It feels a lot more like a rock album than I think this uh, the first album does, even though it's um, you know guitar based drum structures um, essentially. But it's the it, I think the the major hook with the band is the way that they, in terms of melodies vocally, they they have this. Um, it's, uh, I mean, I'm not quite sure how they pull it off, but it's uh, it's a sort of alchemy between um, '70s style soft rock and '90s R&B, 
and the sound certainly incorporates heavy elements of both, uh, although it probably leans more heavily towards the Fleetwood Mac style stuff. Um, and I think it's like this... The, al- the first album, Days Are Gone, came out in 2013, the same year as Daft Punk's Random Access Memories, which was heavily influenced by by 70s Californian rock music, essentially, among other things. Uh, yeah, I feel like the Haim album is a better modern representation of it. Um, and then the second album's a bit of a curiosity, something to tell you, because it's... I don't know, it's pitched somewhere in the middle. Uh, it's not as kinetic as the first album. Um... It's it's probably a bit more straightforward, I would say, but I think it, it needs more listens to tease it out than the other two albums. So I think it's an interesting discography so far, three albums in, in that sense, uh, the way that they, they go. You know, the, prog- the, the trajectory of progression isn't obvious, even though the new album is pretty sublime. So they're obviously a band that are growing extremely well. Um, but I just think it shows, really, that you don't have to be... You know, envelope pushing to be at the forefront of modern music, even though it sometimes feels that way. Um, if you're writing undeniable songs, you know that you're always going to rise to the top on that basis, and that's kind of what's happened uh, with Heim for me. Uh, and now I find myself counting them among, you know, among my favourites already, even though they're they're still a pretty young band, um, and they've only just released the third album, but. That's that's how hooked I am at the moment, so it's exciting times. And then, obviously, we're all going to see them next year. Mm-hmm. That's the, uh, that's the, the other news. So. Can't wait. Yeah, so looking forward to that. And especially interesting because their live shows are apparently so much different to what they're like on record. So that should make for interesting observation. But I've been listening to some other stuff, but they're really the ones uh, They're the ones I wanted to, to mention there. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that first album, Days Are Gone... Um, I couldn't pick between that and the later album. Uh, well, say the third album. Yeah. Um, uh, as you well know, my favourite track is The Wire from um, Days Are Gone. Incredible. Um, but they're all bangers. Um, I, I, can't rem- I can't think of too many albums where I could literally listen to every track several times. There are some great albums that have... You, you maybe wouldn't call them filler, but, um, you know, lesser tracks or at least ones that don't, you know, get the hooks into your brain. Um, but, mm-hmm. I mean, in in many ways, you listen to some of Haim's songs. And they are almost straight pop songs, albeit with rock elements, but I'm not I'm not above that. I mean, for example, the opening track on the, the second album you talked about, um, Want You Back, you know, in other hands, could have just been a 90s pop song. Um but yeah. it's great and it's addictive. Um, did you have any thoughts you wanted to add on on that or any other albums, Clive? Um, not on high in particular because I still haven't uh, got around to listening to them. Well, I'm very much looking forward to seeing them and <laughs> we'll get around to it before then. As usual, my uh, new music um, listening has taken a bit of a hit since I started this ridiculous challenge. Um <laughs> So not much to add on that, although um, I will... I think this is probably a good point to mention that I'm really enjoying uh, Taylor Swift's new album, Folk- Folklore. Um, yeah, I think it's really, really great. It's kind of uh, way more chilled, um, as you might expect from the name, folky <laughs> affair than some of her previous ones. Uh, and it might just be my favourite. It's been my kind of go-to, don't know what to listen to album, I'll put this on, um, which is always high praise. And 
yes, I've been thoroughly enjoying that in terms of new music. Um, in terms of other comments, the um, it's interesting that you've mentioned the um, the coincidence with the Acaster book and stuff was, was interesting. And that's an album that I keep meaning to listen to a lot because I loved um, Jeff Rosenstock's album. I'm struggling for the name of it, but it's the one with the car on the front, which I think came before that. Oh, yeah, I can't remember the title of that one because the only two I've heard are Worry and uh, Post, which was the follow-up, um, which is structu- structured a lot differently, the songs. So some of the songs were a lot longer, but it's basically the same style. Um, yeah, and he, he... Well, I just really like him. He's a punk artist, obviously, so and he self-releases all his stuff and he's very um, DIY, which I like about him. Uh, it's a little bit relatable for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of shit, uh, a, a much shitter version. Uh, but I loved um, his track "Nausea" on on that album before, and yeah, he's just one I need to listen to. And I think it's because "Worry" I think is um, a little bit more. It's probably less immediately accessible than the previous album, which name I believe forgotten, which was very much like pop punk bangers. I've just checked; it's "We Cool?" Question mark. That's it. Yeah, that one's very. Um, everything's quite like. Great melodies, very accessible, just great pop punk, but with like, but kind of edgy pop punk, not um, stupidly well produced um, Blink One Eight Two type pop punk. Which there's nothing wrong with that, but it's not that. Um, it's a bit rougher, shall we say? A bit more, maybe like Joyce, Joyce Manor, maybe if you're going to compare it to something. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I definitely need to check those albums out, and you've reminded me there, which is great. But the uh, L's sister's husband, uh, so I guess L's brother-in-law. Is um he's listening to apparently Acast is doing a podcast about the that year of music. So I imagine it's probably similar content to the book. I didn't realise there was a book uh, <laughs> about that, and uh, he because he told me about it because of me doing my uh, you know music from every year challenge. And he was saying, I wonder if when you get to twenty sixteen, you'll decide it's the best one. Yeah, uh, I was like, yeah, it'll be interesting, <laughs> but got a while to wait yet until we get there. But yeah, he, he also recommended the podcast. So yeah, um, I think he's done a lot of media on this basically. Um, you see him popping up everywhere talking about music even though that's not his primary thing so I love that um, he, yeah, but I, I like the, what I like about the book is it's a simple concept but it's also obviously laced with autobiography so it works well in that mm. sense I should have mentioned this really um, it covers obviously it, because there's so many albums involved it covers some pretty obscure stuff um, stuff I'd never heard of but all he makes it all sound interesting that's the great thing about the book really sells mm. it all but I've got to mention this act. One of the albums he mentions is uh, Howdly Doodly, the debut album by Oakley Doakley, a Ned Flanders themed metal car wow. band. <coughs> uh, they all dress as Ned Flanders, the band. And uh, the lyrics are largely comprised of Flanders quotes. <laughs> Uh, I'm just looking at the track is list. There anything, here. Is there um, anything saying, uh, want me to zinc your sniffer? Is that. I don't know, but I hope so. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm not a Simpsons aficionado like oh, you are, yeah. Alex. Um, but I mean, some of these track titles are amusing me. Um, the, the opening sing- single is called White Wine Spritzer. <laughs> and, uh, well, the other track title that's jumping out to me, no idea what it's a reference to, is uh, More Animal Than Flan. Uh, that one doesn't jump out to me either. I'm not. <laughs> well, anyway, <laughs> sounds great. And for some reason, you've just reminded me of uh, when I've been sort of looking ahead a bit uh, to the years ahead. 
now and again. I'm like, oh, what's coming up? Uh, and I spotted The Clash and was like, yes, I'm excited to get to that uh, that you mentioned. But also an album called, I can't remember if this is going to appear or not, or whether it was further down the list. Uh, but it'll probably appear anyway, because it's just fucking the best album name I've probably ever seen. <laughs> so the band's called Funkadelic, who I've still not got around to listening to anything by, but obviously will do. And the, the album's called Standing on the Verge of Getting It On. And I just think that is the best name for a funk album I've ever heard. <laughs> Yeah, Funkadelic are great. I haven't heard that album, but um, yeah. I listened to Ma- Maggot Brain a few weeks ago, re-listened to that, and it is uh, I was going to show off there. I was going to say that I remember that's one of your top ten ever tracks, or at least it was when you made me a playlist. Uh, yeah, the title track very much is, yeah, you're right. Great. Um, that's. Um, I think I've missed that, but it's gonna, I'm going to be doing it probably in my 70s um, roundup because I got past it and then I was like, I need to listen to this. Right, yeah. So, yeah. Well, I'll I, get to it. <laughs> Course, yeah. Well, for years on the album, the, the the title track overshadowed the rest of it for me. But mm. I appreciate now that the rest of it is just it's not as, it's not as good because I'm calling it my, one of my top ten tracks. But it's it's just as important the rest of the album. It's it's quite a I mean it's it's essentially an early heavy metal album I would say. Um, a song like Super Stupid is just incredible mix of heavy music and funk. Superb guitar playing by Eddie Hazel. Brilliant. I've got a question. Um, did we pay a price for that music in politics? So, you know, with 2016 being, the, you know, this great year for music. Well, that's the thing. That's that's something Acaster uh, mentions a lot. He says it's weird to proclaim this year as something great for him when, you know, it wasn't for so many other people. Yeah, it feels like nothing in this world is free. You know, if you want that, you know, that, that density of quality music... Um, that dearth, you're going to get a boatload of shit somewhere, and, and we, we got it in our leadership, which is bearing fruit right now, or bearing rotten fruit. You can say that again. Yep. But um, what's interesting, actually, about it is that Acaster wasn't deep into music. He hadn't, listen- he hadn't listened to it or paid much attention to contemporary music for years until this happened, this episode happened to him. So I think that's particularly unique. Because you'd usually expect someone coming at something from that sort of angle to be someone already engrossed in it, but not the case with him. Mm. And it sort of reignited a, an interest in, in him in uh, in contemporary music. Well, um, I mean that does happen though. Sometimes I can go maybe not maybe not as long as him, but I can go something like six months where I'm just listening to albums I've already heard. And then I'll hit, well, the benefits of doing this pod with you is I'll hear of something new, then I'll give it a go. And not not everything works for me, but sometimes I'll get hooked on something. And then, wow. Yeah, for sure, yeah. I think you, you, you just need something to light a spark, or at least you do. I mean, you're a, you know, you and Clive are both uh, music aficionados, so you're never switched off. But for me, I kind of need just a little spark, a little good recommendation, a little hook in a song. And then I can be down the rabbit hole. Yeah, for sure. But obviously, obviously, what Aircast has done is is like is a different scale, though, because obviously, I've never heard close to three hundred and sixty odd albums from a year. Obviously, wow. And it's it's. Mm. I think that that reflects that reflects the fact that it was a coping strategy for him. But he st- was it still able to turn it into something positive. You Didn't realise it was that many albums. Oh yeah, because in the back of the book there is a calendar for uh, you to listen to one album from two thousand and sixteen per day for a full leap year. I'd end up forgetting them. I wouldn't appreciate them enough. I don't think. <laughs> I know that's that's kind of how I feel about if he, it. If he did, you know, one a month, I think that would be like you know the twelve amazing albums of twenty sixteen. That would be more 
Yeah. You know, you could give a full month, you know, get get in, I don't know, four or five listens at least. And um... Well, I'd, I'd like to try and listen to 50 albums from this year before the end of the year, which I'm, on, I'm certainly on track for. But that's hard enough, you know. <clears throat> okay. Anything else you want to add on that, Clive? No, I think I've uh, made all my points. I've heard um, the new Everything Everything track on uh, Radio 6 this morning. I forgot what it's bloody called. Oh, Violent uh, Sun. I think that was it. From It's from the new album that's coming out, and I really enjoyed it. So we'll be checking that out as well. And like you, I've, I want to. Uh, 50's kind of my target as well for a year. I like to try and listen to 50 and a sort of mix of what's been reviewed well and some of the stuff that maybe. I think sounds interesting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I don't think I'm anywhere near on track for that, but it'll it'll happen, I'm sure. I'll have a month where I just Yeah. Yeah, you you go through periods where you're into it and where you're not, don't you? But because I've obviously done like yeah, all these god knows how many I've reviewed and a lot, a lot of those I hadn't listened to before. So I've been listening to loads and loads of new albums to me, but, <laughs> but they're obviously yeah. 60s and 70s. So. Well, I'd like to listen to more than that because obviously if I wanted to do a top 50, I don't want to go, oh well, number number yeah. 50, <laughs> this wasn't that good actually. I didn't like this that much, but I, it needs to be on the list to make up 50, you know. So mm-hmm. I'd like to try and avoid that. Oh, one other thing for me to mention, I've also been listening to Taylor Swift's uh, Folklore. Um, yeah, surprisingly good. Um, I've, I've, to be honest with you, she's always been a bit of a guilty pleasure anyway. I've loved a lot of her pop songs. Uh, maybe not so guilty, actually. I don't really care if anyone thinks I'm stupid. But um, yeah, I, I think I was definitely drawn in by the, the track with Bon Iver, Exile. Um, yeah, it's a great track. The definitely. rest of the album is very good as well. Yeah, I think she's, I mean, she's one of those pop artists who I think is uh, quite well res- respected in, terms of, in critical circles anyway. Yeah. <laughs> So I don't know if you have to call her a guilty pleasure anymore. Um, certainly. But not that that's a thing yeah. anyway, but you know what I mean. She's a bit like Carly <clears> Rae <throat> Jepsen, quite well um, respected in, in, in critical yeah, circles, I'm, I think. Which not a lot of people don't realise. I'm realize, yet to I understand think. that one, personally, but um, you know, maybe I listen, need to listen to more. <laughs> I haven't listened to a Carly Rae Jepsen album, so I can't really comment, but... The only thing I know is that song, which obviously it's surprising. But... Song of the Year 2012, fact, as Ed, as Ed Balls <laughs> tweeted. Well, he also is famous for tweeting his own name, so what does but he yeah, know? Yeah, he's, he's, that's two things he's contributed to Twitter. Ed Ballster, which is iconic, <clears throat> and that, that which I think was, <clears throat> was one of the very first accidental partridges. <clears throat> I think I, said, I think I said that on the last podcast as well because we had this um, when I sent the picture of the uh, the the fan meeting Carly Rae Jepsen in a Swans. Oh t-shirt. yeah, that's that's a classic. Yeah, yeah, that was it. <laughs> but, yeah. Right. Um, well, I, I guess we're on to me. Um, I'm going to talk about a TV show. Um, it's just finished, or at least it's just finished in the UK. Um, bit of a strange adaptation. This one. It's a reimagining of Perry Mason. Uh, it's been running on HBO in America and Sky Atlantic over here. Um, is anyone familiar with Perry Mason before I start? Or the original concept? No. No, so, no. Very famous kind of courtroom serial in America. Um, came out in the end of the 50s, but set in Depression-era America. Um, Perry Mason is a you know crack lawyer defending the innocent... Um, all very quite wholesome stuff, really, albeit not not always wholesome material. Um, this is an odd adaptation in the sense that it reimagines Perry Mason uh, in a kind of origin story as a uh, down on his luck um, private investigator, 
hired to investigate the uh, strange, complex and gruesome murder of a child. Um, it stars Matthew Rees, who um, probably most famous for the Americans, or at least, at least for me. Uh, also stars Juliet Rylance, Chris Chalk, Shea Wiggum, uh, Tatiana Maslany, uh, who was in something that Clive talked about recently that I can't remember offhand. She was. I wonder if it was um, Little Fires no, Everywhere. No, no, no. It, it was the um, Orphan, Orphan Black. Oh. Yep. Yep, you're right. And yeah. uh, also yeah. John Lithgow. Um this this isn't this is an odd one really. Um, I mean, the, this entire series is dripping, positively saturated in cliche. Um, you know, war veteran detective with a drinking problem, broken family, his wife's left him, his kid's not with him, he's massively in debt. Um, you know, there is a strange cult-like church uh, that nobody seems to be sure uh, what they're about. Corrupt, violent police officers. Um, the entire thing is basically just dumped uh, every single film noir, crime noir, uh, you know, archetyped onto itself, and it's just writhing in it. Um, but it doesn't really bother me. Um, I, I, the more I think about it, film noir or crime noir, whatever you want to call it, strictly speaking, film noir has to be black and white, but whatever. Um, it's always been that kind of thing, really. It's... Um, I can't take credit for this quote, but film noir is all about the same notes played in a similar rhythm with different lyrics. Um, You know, nobody making a film noir or crime noir film or TV show is looking to be that original. Um, Everybody wants you to know exactly what kind of environment you're in, and it's an environment I love. Um, My three favourite genres are noir, science fiction, and westerns. Um... The TV show is shot gorgeously, and it's another indication, in my opinion, of the blurring between TV and cinema. And you can see why, um, well, not the first time, so many actors um, are taking on so many either miniseries or long-form drama on TV. Um, The performances themselves are quite educated, really. Uh, they, They bear comparison to classics like Double Indemnity, The Big Sleep... Um, Maltese Falcon, etc. Um, they're deliberately a bit showy. Um, th- there is no, you know, restriction in this. People are shouting, people are crying, people are angry, and um, it's very much of the style of the time uh, when the, you know, noir started in the forties. Um, this isn't. I wouldn't call it anything outrageously brilliant. Uh, but if you're a, if you're a fan of the genre like I am, it will keep you hooked. The plot is convoluted, but just stays the right side of the line. It's not it's not one of those film noirs where you will lose yourself completely. Um, and the ending is very satisfying. The ending seems to set up Perry Mason as a lawyer, as he was in the original series. Um, and I understand they will be going again. Incidentally, uh, apparently Robert Downey Jr. was set to play uh, Mason originally until he had to pull out. Um, but I had a lot of fun with this one. I've been watching it with Nicola. Uh, I know she enjoyed it a lot as well. Um, I kind of wish it was a little bit more original, but like I said with that quote, which I, I can't attribute to anyone, by the way, um, film noir is not about originality. Um, I take it you, n- neither of you had heard of this then. From your response earlier, no, I haven't. No, it sounds interesting, but 
Um, like you say, film noir is a... I think it's a genre I would enjoy. I've just never really <laughs> watched much in it. Um, so would be interested to, at some point, ask you about which, um, which ones you'd recommend in particular, because I imagine I probably haven't seen any of them. So... It might sound like an absurd uh, absurd comparison, but there's something oddly Shakespearean about noir um, in the sense that um, the same characters or the same archetype of characters turn up in everything. You've got the down-on-his-luck PI, mm. you've got the the hard-headed cop, uh, corrupt cop, you've got the kind of damsel in distress, you've got the, um, you know, the femme fatale. Um, these characters are largely the same people, whatever the name, in the same way as that you would get adaptations of Shakespeare plays, which are marginally different. And um, it's, it's almost a, an American tradition, I suppose. Um, and it's definitely one I'm in board with. It's incredibly stylish. Um, and it, and like I said, convoluted for the most part, but but followable. I mean, I think the, probably the classic example, in my opinion, is from actually from the 70s, uh, Chinatown, uh, which is one of the very best examples. Do you have a favourite uh, noir film, Michael? Uh, don't know. I'd, I mean, it, let me think. I mean, do, do, what do we count as noir? Are we counting Mulholland Drive? Yes, I, I, I would say that would fit, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Sunset pu- Boulevard pu- sort of fits in for me as well. Yeah, Very I mean, a purist... Areas, but- a purist might tell you that they don't fit, but yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm saying they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. There, there are some noirs that I love like that, um, but I, I could explore it further too as well. Um, but I'd, I'd say I'm a fan of the uh, of the genre for sure. I think more recently I, I rewatched um, the '90s classic uh, *LA Confidential*, um, which again is one that leans heavily on it from you know the writing of James Elroy, who's yeah. Uh, I mean, on, on two fronts, you've got obviously, unfortunately, Kevin Space is one of the leads in that. But I, I, I can't, pret- I can't pretend that I didn't enjoy it years before I was aware he was a bastard. So I'm going to continue enjoying uh, the film itself. And Elroy himself, by all accounts, was a cunt, but um, great film. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have a f- favorite noir, Clive, or is it is it just not something you've explored? I think it's just not something... There probably is something that I like that is film noir that I really liked, but um, it's not something I could think of off the top of my head of having really watched many. Um, so, yeah, something I'd definitely like to delve into. I think w- when I was talking about, you know, the lack of originality in the genre, probably one of the few examples I can think of is the uh, Ryan Johnson film Brick, which is set, um, you know, still has a lot of the cliche, but it's set at a high school but it reimagines the the classic archetypes as high school students, um, and I, th- I, th- I think I think I think again coming back to Shakespeare, which maybe I shouldn't, but um, in in the Shakespearean tradition, you've got things like uh, Ten Things I Hate About You. You know, Shakespeare reimagined mm. as a high school drama. Uh, that is possible to do, and I'd probably like to see more of that. But um, this this was not the place to go with Perry Mason. When you uh, when you first started that review, I wasn't sure if you were going to like it, and it reminded me that it feels like a long time since we've had one of your rants. Yeah, well, I haven't. <laughs> I just true. haven't. I but haven't. You haven't, really you haven't seen been anything. going to. You haven't been taking random chances on films at the cinema, have you? That's the. Yeah. That's the difference. Yeah. I think that's what leads to a rant. Yeah, because it's I mean, like you. I was kind of ranty about Rise of Skywalker. I didn't enjoy that very much. Right. Kind of. 
But yeah, I'm no, ta- I haven't had a proper. I'm talking about black hat level rants, you know. Well, we may never see that again. <laughs> <though. laughs> um, no, that that is true. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I can't falsify the emotions. <laughs> I know. You know that I know have, that they have to come. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> I'm sure it will come eventually. It, you know, it'll. I tell you what, it'll probably be more like you know, black hat was just out of the blue, but it'll probably be something that I've been excited about uh, that I watch and is just crushingly disappointing. Yeah. Um, mm. Well, I'm sure that's not going to be the upcoming blockbuster Tenet, which is. I certainly hope not. By far <laughs> the most exciting film I can remember being so hyped for in a long time. I don't feel like yeah. Nolan's capable of doing that. I mean, I think he's probably, like, like anybody else, he's probably capable of disappointing me, but making me angry, I doubt it. It, it just looks it looks stunning to me. I mean, the, the trailers are amazing. Yeah, I'm excited for that. I've seen some good trailers. Oh, me, me and Michael are going to see <laughs> Just excited to, to get it. back to the cinema. Go yeah, on, sorry. Sure. Well, yeah, me and Michael are booked in to see it. Um, not the day it launches, but the day afterwards. When when is it coming out? Twenty uh, sixth. Yeah. Okay. Need to. Although I, did, I might. Although I'm going to the cinema for the first time since lockdown today, actually. What to see? Uh, Baby Teeth. Um, oh yeah. Which is uh, starring Ben Mendelsohn and Eliza Scanlon and other people, but I'll probably give a review yeah. of that next week or whenever we next do a pod. Need to. Uh, yeah, I think my. Oh, sorry, sorry, Mac. Go no, on. sorry. I was just going to say, um, I think the cinema I used to go to has is, is opened up, so I need to go back and start uh, giving not, them some business again. I'm not point, exactly but. sure what the rule with masks are. I'm pretty sure you need to wear a mask going in, but then when you sat yeah, in your seat, say. when you sat in your seat, I don't think you have to. Yeah, that'll be right. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, it, if it was the case that I have to wear the mask throughout the entire film, I'm not really sure if I'm interested in going back until that's not the case. <laughs> but um, I don't yeah, mind true. wearing a mask. I'm not one of these people who's moaning about it, but. Um, I don't know. It would be a bit uncomfortable for two hours, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think so. Need to remember to avoid the internet or social media anywhere after Tenet comes out because you know you know, there's going to be something that you need to avoid. Yeah. I mean, you've only got a day to avoid. It's oh, not no, too yeah. bad, really, is I it? Know. But, uh, yeah, but I think, of the, uh, not to mention the fact that I think I read the actors were only allowed certain parts of the script. So, you know. I mean, it's exciting. Yes. Mm. I'm going to put myself in. You've excited me now. <laughs> and I'm already a sucker for uh, films about time, and nobody does it better than Nolan. I've always said all of his films are really about time, so this one expli- well, explicitly mm. is. I was going to say, yeah, the the trailer makes it perfectly clear. I mean, the name itself, a palindrome, um, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Wow. Plus, isn't what is it? It's, it's certainly the most expensive in the Nolan catalogue i don't know where it ranks overall but in terms of all films but really biggest ever budget for nolan yeah that's saying something considering he's done three batman films exactly yeah so we'll we'll see where that's been splurged you know what's going to be interesting actually is um how much this film makes back uh my guess is it's probably not going to do very well really just you know by not as well as it would have for sure yeah yeah it, it's even possible in this climate that it might lose money, um, or at least initially. Yeah, well, let's hope not. But I mean, we'll see. I, I would be I'd be surprised if Warner Brothers um, hold that against Nolan. Oh, yeah. I would expect they have a you know 
you know, I, I would imagine they have realistic expectations. I prob- I would imagine they're hoping for a modest profit at this point. At this point, but um, possibly pick it up later on. You know, with um, video on demand, etc. But um, well, it might be one that they keep in cinemas for a bit longer. I don't know how they're going to do it, but yeah, we'll see. Well, look, Inception's being re-released this week, isn't it? Uh, yeah, well, lots of lots of films. I mean, um, for example, uh, um, the the cinema that I frequently go to, which is not going to get any free adapt, uh, any free publicity from me, uh, Inception is out. Um, Flash Gordon, the fortieth anniversary, is out. All oh, right. Um, <laughs> Parasite is back at the cinema, the black and white edition. Actually, I might go and see that. Black and white uh, edition. Yeah. Mm. You've also got Notting Hill, Back to the Future. Batman Begins, Jurassic Park, uh, Terminator Two, The Dark Knight, The Dark Knight Rises. Wow, the Empire. They got any news? Lords of the Empire. Uh, hang on, I'm not done yet. The Empire Strikes Back, uh, Lord of the Rings: The Return of the King. Not the other ones though. Um, and and the Terminator. So they're showing they're showing a few new films. Oh, and Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, <laughs> they're showing a few new films, but it's mainly classics. Um, I think they're hoping to draw people back in. That's pretty cool though, because there's definitely some films there I'd go and see at the cinema again. Oh yeah, well I wanted to see uh, Jurassic Park again, uh, but they're only showing it in 4DX, which means that my card won't let me see it for free. So I'm I'm not paying a fiver to be in a rumbly chair. Not a chance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh, it, you can never beat the first time, though, can you? And that's why it's so exciting about Tenet. So. I mean, I'd be surprised if I only see Tenet the once. I would imagine I'll see it at least well, a second time. I'm already unless going I hate to, it. I'm already going to see it the next day again. So, <laughs> so yeah. I think in the, I think I'd like a week in between it. I think I want to digest it over a week and then see it again. Yeah. Well, this is just and, because uh, of different people asking me to go. So, but yeah. he's a man in demand. Clearly. Yeah. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, well, we're coming up on the hour mark, folks, so... Um, are, we, I believe are, we, uh, are we queefing it? That's exactly... Well, you're beating me to it. I was just about to ask, do we have a queef, Clive? I don't think we've got a queef, well, no. We, we did have a second-hand so queef, didn't we? Yeah, it was... It came with no context. Uh, Jurassic uh, Park is shite because dinosaurs are pussies, is what I, remember, I believe it was. <laughs> I mean, I think... <laughs> Next pod's queef needs to be an explanation of that. <laughs> uh, we need, we need to, there you have it. There's your queef. Uh, not in Josh's voice, I'm afraid, but um, we'll have him back next time. Uh, <laughs> thoughts on that, Clive? Um, I mean, I've, I think the first Jurassic Park's great, so I disagree. Um, <laughs> I'm not even going to comment on the fact that... <laughs> I mean, dinosaurs are pussy. <laughs> did, he, did he mean Jurassic Park 3? Um, Let's hope. Yeah. I'm I mean, in that case, I can... I'm actually a defender of the second one, you know, except for the ending part. I thought it was actually a pretty good movie until uh, a teenager beats velociraptors with gymnastics, and then it goes downhill <laughs> oh, yeah, from that there. Bit. <laughs> they're all like... They're all just quite entertaining, aren't they? It's just, I think it is the first one that's like the one that's got the most uh, critical value, shall we say? Yeah, well, I, th- <laughs> but, I think. The f- but two the- and three are still quite entertaining. I think the first one just has it has you know a form of terror to it. I think a form mm. of horror that the other ones never matched. Like the yeah, recent ones, Jurassic true. World. Wasn't uh, that that was Jurassic- in a cinematic war crime, wasn't it? <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, <laughs> just like there's no threat level. Like you know that certain characters are surviving, whereas in Jurassic Park it wasn't clear initially. 
Jurassic, um, Jurassic World might have been subject to one of your rants, was it? Um, I think, yeah. I know Terminator Genesis was. I've just remembered that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think my problem with Jurassic World was mainly that the Raptors are the good guys now, and they're probably, you know, <laughs> trying to take inspiration from Terminator 2 there, but it just doesn't fucking work. <laughs> the, o- the only good thing about Jurassic World um, is... It lent into its absurdity at the end, where it had the T-Rex square off against the new badass dinosaur, and I got a kick out of that, even though it was stupid. It felt a bit Sharknado, but, you know, I, I didn't mind that part, but, um, yeah. I think the franchise is largely done, unless they're prepared to make an 18-rated version, which they obviously never will. Maybe that, you've just given me an idea for the next instalment. Go on, then. Jurassic Parknado. Ooh. Just like a tornado with dinosaurs just flying around. Yeah. Yep. Unless you just stick them all. It should be like the Hunger Games. They just ram them all into a thing, and then we see which one wins. Battle Royale style. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Jurassic Park Battle Royale. And even better, that maybe they um, they sort of engineer every new one. They could engineer some sort of new one to throw in uh, and see whether it competes. The thing is, there's always a big bad one, and then T-Rex wins in the end because... T-Rex has just got some indefinable quality. You know, he's a bit like a ro- an old Rocky Balboa. You know, he's got... <laughs> you know, he's got... So uh, many calcium on all his, <laughs> He's got calcium on all his joints. He's got no speed. He's old. <laughs> that could... But he's going to... You know, he's got raw hurt and power, you know. Again, you're just giving me ideas. Rocky 7. Rocky and the T-Rex. Square off. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Rocky Five was pretty ridiculous, and so that's there is not, a Rocky a Six, reach. isn't there? Uh, yeah, well, that's Rocky Balboa. Oh yeah, uh, which was okay actually. That wasn't too bad. Um, I think they learned from Rocky Five because obviously the two Creed films are pretty good actually. Um, I think they just realised, yeah, we you know we we shagged the dog on that one, didn't we? Um, and then just <laughs> recovered it a little bit. Was it, uh, you laugh, obviously I've got to mention this, I don't know if podcast listeners have ever heard about this, was it Was it uh, Creed or Rocky Balboa where you drunkenly went into a pub when it was on and thought you, and panicked about boxing spoilers? It was Creed, it was oh. uh, the final fight which was against real life boxer Tony Bellew, Goodison. which was filmed at, yeah, yeah, which was filmed at Goodison Park, um, <laughs> before one, I think it was filmed, af- it was filmed after one of his fights. Which could have gone badly wrong, actually, if he, you know, if he'd got injured. Um, but yeah, it it was extremely realistic, especially because it had a real boxer in it. Yeah, and, um, uh, Alex was wasted and thought it was spoiling a fight he was going to watch later. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a credit to the film. Credit to the film. Yeah, it and is, alcohol. Yeah. yeah well, yes, I mean, <laughs> thank you, alcohol. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, we we've diverged wildly there. Um, <laughs> Would you look at that time? Oh, well, um, you, you. whoa, it's plug time. At Sticker Roundcast on Twitter, you can find um, our, oh, oh, everything, everything we do. So if we release an article, it's there. When we do an episode, it's there. Best place to follow what's going on. Um, you can see everything that's going on if you head to stickaroundpodcast.com. Got uh, every episode on there, whereas I think your podcast apps will just have the last 100. So if you want to go well back into the catalogue, you can... Because um, this is now you? 158. Yeah, why wouldn't you? Um, you can go all the way back to the first if you head up to the website, stickaroundpodcast.com. Also, our lovely articles. 
uh, including the latest one I've just done, which is 1971, my favourite albums of 1971, which was excellent, as every year has been. Um, not saying the article itself is excellent, but the the music was. You can judge for yourself about the article. Um, and facebook.com slash stick around podcast, I think there, which is like a regurgitated Twitter feed. If you don't use Twitter and want to find out what's going on, you can just follow that. And at stick around on uh, Instagram, we are, uh, you can message us, you can go to the website, there's like a form you can fill in, or you can send us an email to stickaroundpodcast at gmail.com if you want to ask us a question. But the best thing you can do is, well, the best thing you can do is just tell your mates and uh, get them to listen. The second best thing you can do is to uh, give us an iTunes review, either five star or one star, um, because we don't do middle ground. And the, the third best thing you can do is give us your fucking money. Uh, but you know we'll, we'll, well, we'll, we'll settle for one or two don't know where you can do that but yeah <laughs> just give it a Clive uh, <laughs> I'll give you my bank details send it in the post yeah <laughs> okay um, well we will be back sh- shortly I'm sure um, lockdown has kind of semi ended but uh, not for us we're, we're shut ins um, <laughs> yeah Michael Johnson, um, you gave us a German-themed welcome last time. Can you give us a German goodbye, please? Auf Wiedersehen. Uh, <laughs> Clive, Amazing. can you give us a Swiss-German goodbye? Tschüss, Thema. Okay, how didn't is, know what that how meant. How is it but that different? <laughs> I don't know. Well, that, I went for the <laughs> for something different. <laughs> Um, I mean, you can say tschüss, I think, in German. I'm not sure. I think so. But tschüss, Tim, is like a see you all later type thing. Um, but mm. whereas Temer is definitely a word that you wouldn't use in German. That's the Swiss-German version of zusammen, which gives you a kind of an idea of how, how shortened some of the words are. Cool. Um, I'll give you a side goodbye. Um, see you after, Dafcon. Um <laughs> <laughs> Remember... To stick and around. Nobody turned up to pick up the plague. That's just. Oh, right. <laughs> sake, lies, lies. Fucking hell. Yeah. <laughs> sure, they will let us. Just throw it at him next time you're at work. <laughs> but make sure you've not touched it somehow. Disinfect your um, copy of the plague. <laughs> <laughs> throw it through like a spray of disinfectant. Meta, isn't it? <laughs> um, anyway, I've not said stick around. Stick, stick around. around. Thank you all for listening Rest assured that you have found The best podcast in the universe It's Stick Around